0: hello everybody um,
1: welcome to we talkers one um, from defected HQ we are going to discuss um, the much debated sometimes controversial subject of sampling within the music industry and um, There's been much criticism over the use of of samples within dance music. I mean, sometimes for myself um, on social media, lots of debates whether the technique is either creative genius, uh, which in some cases it undoubtedly is, or just blind theft. Um, So we're gonna discuss the merits of of both those aspects of sampling within dance music. Um, And then we're going to discuss um, uh, the processes that you need to go through if you do sample records um and how to cre- credit the original uh, composers musicians artists etc um some of dance music's biggest records um have sampled records sometimes the uh, the clearances have been in place sometimes people have, have, have looked to get away with it um and um yeah it's just an open discussion so uh, we're being joined by lots of people feel free to ask questions um as and when they present themselves and we'll try and get to you over the next hour um but i am uh joined by three uh three specials actually uh, the first of which is uh Cristiano aka aka spiller uh who produced Groove Jet, and he is uh currently in italy hi, Scott, hi Cristiano. great to join man. us um obviously you can discuss the um the Process that you went through with GrooveJet, um, and and uh, I'm, I'm well aware of it. We've had many discussions about it, etc. I'm sure it'll be of great interest to to our audience. Um, I am also joined by BMG's Senior Director of uh, Legal and Business Affairs, Mr. Justin Robson. Um, and uh, Jobson. In- Justin, very prominent in the music industry. And I'm proud to say that he worked for Defected uh, for several years. Before he worked for Defected, um, he was a lawyer at Clintons. Um, and before that, he was in a band called The Stalins, which I'm sure he doesn't want me to mention. But you, could, you could Google it if you wish. Um, <laughs> um, and finally, um, we're going to be joined by Dean Marsh, who is a UK-based entertainment lawyer. Hi, Dean. Um, and uh, Dean is going to is one of the uh, leading providers of music licensing and uh, sample clearance services around the world. So, I think we have a we have an artist who can an, who can discuss the creative process. I can discuss it from a label's perspective, um, and uh, Dean and Justin can give us some clear guidance on the the legal processes um, uh, if you do sample someone's record. So. Um I haven't I just because of the nature of me being chaotic. I haven't really pre- uh, uh, prepared this, so it's a bit of an open forum, and we'll just freeform, freestyle our way our way through it. But uh, as I did mention earlier, some of dance music's biggest records contain samples. Some very obvious, some some less lesser lesser known samples. Um Shapeshifter's Lola's theme. Samples Johnny Taylor, what, what About My Love, quite extensively. Armin Van Helden, You Don't Even Know Me. Uh, huge sample, uh, Carrie Lucas sample in that, uh, which I believe is owned by South Soul, which is owned by BMG, uh, or, or Solar, I should say. Um, Biller uh, sample the record, Carol, um, Carol Williams, Love Is You, which is owned by. Um, and all of that, the music within those samples contributes greatly. To the popularity of those records, in all cases, I, I believe that they 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 were cleared. So, um, Spiller, do you want to kick us off the, the process of how you how you created Groovejet?
2: Um, sure, I have many stories about about sample, and each, each time is completely different from from the other. Anyway, with the um, with Groovejet, what I did is. Uh, it, it was clearly a sample that had to be cleared, it was pretty obvious, it was a uh, Carl Williams sample. And so, we, we got in touch, well, my management got in touch with uh, with Salso. They asked a certain amount of money, which I didn't have at the time. And um, we, we had a few labels that were interested in uh, in licensing Groovejet because it was played already. And at the Winter Music Conference, as a as a CDR by, by Boris Lugosh, and so there was an interest, but no one was willing to to pay me the advance that I needed to clear the sample. So what I had to do is I pressed some copies myself. I think there were about a thousand white labels, and. Uh, I started shipping them to some Italian record shops as white label with just the stickers that I applied on each of them. Uh, it was called the Mighty Miami EP. And he had like three tracks. And one of them was uh, was Groovejet on the A side. And uh, and on the inside, there was like, uh, you know, <coughs> the, at the time, all the promos that were sent out had this like, white sheet for uh, for feedbacks and uh, with like you have to check if you like the record how many stars if you were willing to play it and blah 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 and mine had only like i I only put like write or draw whatever you want and it was a completely white paper and uh, i started receiving them back by fax from a record shop asking because i send them for free i send like i think two or three copies each record shop for free two, three key record shops in Italy. And I received them back asking, can we have more? Can we buy more? And sort of started selling them to them. And then some European shops around Europe asked them as well. I don't know how did they get it, but they started asking. And so very quickly, I sold them all. And it became kind of a, a club hit uh, very quickly. It was an instrumental track at the time and uh, so by by doing that i created a lot of more interest and it went into the bus chart i think at number one and so at the time we find labels who were more than willing to pay to release the sample and we did release the sample
1: so that's 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 an interesting process so initially nobody was prepared to finance the the sample clearance because south soul we're asking specific terms in advance for, for, for the clearance. And then you created your own hype and your own buzz, and then you licensed the how does, record. How does that process work if you're the, the copyright owner or the recordings owner? Um, when you see somebody active in the marketplace with an uncleared sample, how, how does a, a BMG or, or, or a music lawyer go about clearing that when, when it's evident that there's demand for it?
0: I mean, Simon, you'll know you, you've experienced this first time a affected, I'm sure, um, as a rights owner, when you see a, a record out there that's um, getting exposed and the sample hasn't been cleared, I think it can, it can often have a detrimental impact on the, the you know the, the sample clearance negotiations that might come on from there. I think most runners, rights owners would prefer that you speak to them and, and try to clear in advance of a of a record being put, being put out. But sometimes. You know, as, as Christiano said, the terms on offer are, are, are prohibitive and, you know, sometimes you have to create your own ways of, of, of getting around that. And, you know, if, if a, if a rights owner sees that there's a possibility that there would be a big record, I think it probably makes those conversations either, easier, even though you've, uh, you know, the record has been doing the rounds without, with, with an unclear sample And And Dean, do, do, you, do, I mean, do you...?
1: There are, there are some instances, historic instances
3: of, uh, of, of record companies seeing a record uh, breaking that has an uncleared sample and and essentially taking it off of the artist. The Jason Nevin's track, remember that one back in the day? Uh, That was a potential hit. And I think it was EMI. Rather than clearing it, they treated the artist as an infringer and said, you know, rather than seeing you, you've got to assign the copyright over to us in the track.
1: And then they went off and had a hit with it that's the run dmc yes yeah exactly in, in i mean in that instance i mean you know being being a a dj record label owner etc. i mean it, it was probably more than a sample though wasn't it he pretty, he pretty much took the it was the kind of a new look, wasn't it really
3: yes i guess
1: i i guess we would feel as a label owner we would feel quite similarly about a, a situation like that where someone's effectively put new beats underneath an, an old track and I think that's a slightly different uh, nuance to someone that takes a one-bar loop or a two-bar loop and then gets creative over the top of it. I mean, you know, my, my view on it is that there's a lot of lazy sampling going on at this moment, and people putting records up on Bandcamp or pressing them as vinyl or sending them on Juno, where they're literally taking someone's entire piece of creativity and putting a beat, beat underneath it and some slight processing and their own record they're not even crediting the original artist that for me is late you know lazy sampling thievery you know etc you know and and then you know there is the creative sample daft punk uh sampling Chaka khan's better with you where they just take a loop and then they add you know drums bass lines a hook over the top etc and and the essence of that record is derived from that one one bar loop, um, but there's a whole heap of processing and creativity that adds to that record, and I think that's there's a whole lot in between that as well. So it's it's, it's going to be a lot to cover um, in, in 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 one hour. But um, my 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 take on it is that sometimes we get off of records with a sample. It can be ultra obscure. It may it may be on a record that is going to sell 2000 records. And sometimes we take a view that it may not be worth entering into a process of negotiation because there's just not enough business in it. But if we then monitor that record, and this is what you're saying, Justin, you would prefer a label to approach the, the, the owner and and, 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 and and do the right thing in terms of clearances from the get go. But sometimes there's just not enough business to make that exchange a worthwhile process. In terms of time, finance, etc., but we'll always monitor the record. If the record looks like it's going to perform to a certain level, we will then approach a BMG or a Sony or an EMI and say, "Look, we've infringed your copyright. Can we can we clear um, the record?" Can you just enlighten people what that what that process entails on the clearance? Yeah. Ones.
3: yeah so, so yeah, there are two separate copyrights. There's the copyright in the recording, and then there's a separate copyright in the, in the publishing, in the underlying song. So, if you have sampled uh, a recording, you need to clear two samples, essentially. You need to clear the record and the publishing, but you need to identify who the record company is. You could do that from Discog or, or some kind of research on YouTube or whatever. Uh, and then you would approach the licensing department there, send them a copy of uh, the new track and the original track and the isolated sample and request clearance. Uh, It used to be that the process was very, very slow. I think things have speeded up a bit these days, but back in the day, it used to go in a filing trail at the bottom and it could take you know, weeks or months for it to clear. And Another problem is invariably the artist will have some kind of approval, right, so the record company may need to reach out to the artist, ask for them to approve the clearance. There may be some historic grievances that the artist has with the label and they may be uncooperative, so it's not an easy process. On the record side, if they do agree to clear the sample, then invariably it's going to cost money, the person wanting to clear the sample will need to pay an advance to the record company, which could be somewhere between, if it's a small indie label, maybe a few hundred quid, but if it's a major label, it could cost, you know, a grand or two to clear a sample, plus there'll be uh, an obligation to pay a royalty on any exploitation. And then on the flip side, on the, on the song, if you're clearing that, it's a slightly different process. You need to find out who the publisher, the music publisher is, go to them, send them the track as well, that like you've done on the record side, and then they will decide whether it's clearable. And if so, the way it works on that side is that they will uh, agree a new copyright will be created for this new song that will be owned partially by the publisher and partially, hopefully, partially by the person who's made the new track. And they should, although it doesn't always happen, they should uh, base that decision on the prominence of the sample. If it's if it is as as was the case in that Justin uh, uh, Levin's case a remix, essentially, then it may well be that the publisher will say, we'll clear it but it's, you know, it's on the basis that we own 100% of the publishing. And generally, you don't have to pay any money to clear a publishing sample, normally it's just done by registration of a new work that, that comprises you know, the various writers. But that's how it works. It's kind of a long process, a laborious process. You can get a lawyer or a sample clearance agent to clear it for you, but it's you know it's a relatively straightforward process, but it does take time.
1: So, so basically, there's you have to clear the recording rights with the yeah. original artist. Yeah. You then have to re- clear the publishing, which is the writing the composition element with the publisher. Yeah. Sometimes the writers are different from the artist, so it can make yeah. it complicated. Yes, in the case of Jason Nevins and, and 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 other instances like that, you've got um, a situation where he may it, it then came out as a remix of, of Run DMC, but maybe yeah. he got profile off of that, got other remix work, got gigs, etc. So there is actually from sampling someone's record and having it prominent in the marketplace, there are byproducts of like that which can benefit you as well if you you know. It, even if it costs you money you may see it being a part of your overall kind of portfolio for, for making money in the music industry yeah so how, how did um how did you go about that uh, cristiano spiller because um you obviously cleared the record and then put a brand new song over the top of it which is yeah. a slightly more complex scenario
2: yeah, that's where the story continues. <laughs> when when we um, record, when, when we cleared the sample, it, we cleared GrooveJet. And when we released the vocal version, it was GrooveJet, It's This same Love, between, uh, what do you call it in English, the the bars. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and therefore, when we released it, Salso came up and said, wait a second, that's a different track we cleared groovejet we didn't clear groovejet if this in love and they they wanted to negotiate a completely new clearance which was a bit uh, was a bit ugly and um, i consulted with the, with some lawyers they said if, if we if we fight this we could probably win this but the problem was that the record would have been would have been stopped and uh, and it was just being released, and it was I, I think it was the week it was a number one or something, and so it would have meant destroying the release, take it out and wait a few years that uh, that it was settled, and so we had to agree to that, and we had to re-clear the sample entirely from from the beginning.
1: I mean, I think that yes, yeah, El were known to be very hardcore in their in their terms when you know back in the day, and uh, but so you got no publishing for the vocal version. No, I,
2: no, no I, I did get. We did a new, a new, a new negotiation. I think I had to to give up a bit more publishing. I had to pay a new advance and probably a bit more royalties as well. And uh, yeah, that's what happened. Vincent Montagna was very kind though, he was very happy about about the sample, he got in touch, he was super kind and he sent a lot of compliments, he came to Italy, I met him, he was very happy about it and you don't get that very often you know sometimes the main problem is that the main artists who are being sampled they they don't like what you're doing because probably there is a big generation gap and the music genre is completely, completely different and it was very hard for me to understand at the time in the 90s when why why would like artists from the 70s and disco hate the that they were being sampled, but right now, <laughs> 20 years later, sometimes I get people remixing or sampling my music, and I really don't like that. And I so I put myself in their shoes now, and I kind of understand sometimes how it is, you know.
1: Justin, what's um... BMG, you 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 have a a huge catalogue um, um, archive across some some incredible labels: salsa, solar, Sugar Hill, Strictly Rhythm. You know, I mean, all of those labels are prime for modern day producers to be inspired by a sample or plagiarize in some way. What's your view? What's what's the company view on, on samples?
0: I mean, I think I think if something's done in the right way, it's not just a you know we talked about direct lift of a whole track and a drum beat underneath it, I mean, that's theft essentially. But if there's a small loop and, you know, it's used cleverly, as as a rights owner, you you want to to find new avenues and new um, ways of exploiting your catalogue, and one way of doing that is by allowing your catalogue to be sampled and used by um, a new artist, and, you know, that can um, introduce your catalogue and the artists that have been sampled to to a new generation it can you know bring about integrate their catalogue? So I think from a you know purely from a right owner's perspective, it's a it's it's something that can that can benefit the ca- catalogue overall and can bring new revenue streams that, that perhaps wouldn't otherwise be available. Um, I think we have to when we uh, license samples have to be mindful of, of the, the artists whether they you know are open to that. We'd always seek their approval. Of course, the underlying songwriters as well. So I think if you do things in the right way, uh, something used cleverly, it can really enhance a catalogue. So BMG's position is, you know, you know, by and large, you know, if someone wants to sample our catalog, does it, you know, creatively the way that, that answers the, the 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 original track that they um, that they're sampling, then it's something that you ought to be able to discuss it. I think I think on a for, you know, for people that might be listening, I think that um, it, it's often hard to clear a sample if you're just a, a bedroom producer trying to clear a sample. You often need a label on board um, to be able to one pay the advance. Talked about um, the pain, but also to ensure that you're going to get accounted to um, after that advances in the queue. So it's it, it sometimes something a bit chicken. Yeah, you might sample something and you know, then shop it around to labels as, as Cristiano did to then get that support to then be able to clear the sample otherwise you're using the and dates. And you may not get there. But um, you know, I think generally speaking, something can be a, a, a good thing for for a, a right center of a large company.
3: Um, so just to cut in there, what, one other thing of note uh, is that if, if paying an advance to a record company is going to be prohibitive, there is a way around that, which is to re-record the sample, in which case you only need to clear the publishing aspects. So if you are able to do that, to recreate the recorded sample, then you only need to clear one side. Of the sample, and then that side doesn't generally cost any money at all, just the giving up of the publishing.
2: Yeah, I had a story about that. It's like I, after I did groovejet I got contacted by a very famous disco artist who uh, called me and, and told me how much he loved how I how I how I sampled uh, how I used the sample from. Uh, from salsa and uh, and he told he basically told me I would love you to use to sample something of my music uh, take anything from my catalog it would be great if you could uh, if you could do something on my music and I was of course flattered because he was like a big artist that I would have never expected to, to call me and ask me something like that so right after I I said uh, I, I started working on um, on something and I came up with this with this track with like uh, two seconds sample from the intro of one of his uh, one of his songs not even one of his major songs and when if when we finished it we sent it to him and he said oh yeah that's great let's release it i want 100 percent of the royalties i think
1: uh, i know who that may be actually so <laughs> um
2: but so, so I, I did replay it I, did, I had to replay the sample there was i was uh I mean, if it was something that came up from me and then I asked, maybe I would have given hundred percent. I don't know, but done like that, I would have never accepted. So I replayed the sample, and he got nothing. So, um,
1: so, so, I, I mean, I I agree, uh, Justin. If you're you know you're a bedroom producer or you're, you're a small independent producer, label owner, etc., you have a sample daunting, and sometimes you don't get listened to if you approach an EMI or Sony or someone big where, you know, you've got um, corporate people, corporate lawyers looking after sample clearances, et cetera. That is when someone like Dean comes into play because that's his his business, that's his expertise. He has connections um, with all of those people that, that clear samples. Is that, is that correct, Dean?
3: Yeah, it is, you know, it is a lot to do with relationships, I think. Uh, if you know the person to call and you can... Uh, um <laughs> smooth talk them or whatever or or spin it in a positive way, then yeah, then you know often they are cooperative, I think. You know, it is, I mean it is the wild west out there. There is so much music that is out there on various platforms that contains unclear samples. It's very difficult for the majors uh, and the uh, kind of mini-majors like BMG to, to police it. So, you know, they will be cooperative and they'll take a pragmatic view about these things. But, yeah, having, a, you know, having a relationship with the person who you need to clear it
1: with, you know, is, is certainly helpful. It's not going to do any harm, for sure. And the um, the other thing that you mentioned, replays, I mean, you know, if you're sampling... A disco record, which may have been a full orchestra and you know string, wow. line, but it's it's a complicated process and not always doable. Some people really prefer to retain the authenticity of the original sample, um, but if you can replay it, I would suggest that's a really good route to go. As a as a as a, a record label, I, I, you know, I actually we would like people to sample our records and go through. The, process but then you have ongoing public uh, obligations like accounting etc etc which you may or you may not be set up to do if you replay it you don't have those obligations it's your
0: recording
1: point so um, so I think that's uh, you know that, that's uh, something if you can possibly do it and again there are companies that provide replaying surfaces for you and are no. actually really, really good at it even even with disco records that are Orchestral pieces of work in some instances.
3: So, and quite reasonably priced as well. You can get someone to do a very good recreation, but not that much money. A lot less than it would cost to clear it, probably. Yeah. Sure. Um, also, Simon, another thing of note is that, you know, it isn't necessarily going to be an infringement if you do sample a recording. I mean, there is some. Uh, misconceptions about oh, I can sample you know two or three seconds of a particular track. Um, what the law says is that it's not a question of uh, quantity; it's a question of quality. So, even if it were a kind of split second of James Brown kind of scream singing, if you, if you could recognise it, then potentially it's infringing. However, you could. Sample a big chunk of, of, a, of a track and manipulate it, reverse it, bury it deep in the mix so it's not recognizable at all, and then you wouldn't need to clear it. So it's a question of the circumstances. Uh, and in certain territories, in America particularly, there is a, a, a kind of fair usage. Defense. If you've if you've used a non-substantial amu- amount of a track and you've transformed it in some way, there's some kind of creativity gone on, and it's not substantially damaged the interest of the rights owner, then you're, you're free to sample.
2: And um, who decides that? A judge. <laughs> <laughs> it does. yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> but, you
3: know, in America, the thing in America, you know, it's that the the, the the awards of damages are just you know eye watering. If you do get caught in America with a hit, it could be extremely expensive. But other territories in Germany, they've got a very different system. They they're, they're there's no infringement if. Uh, if, if you are kind of adding to the cultural heritage and that you are adding something creative and that it wouldn't be possible for you to have recreated for sample using the technology that was around at the time. Um, so the law differs. It's very unclear internationally, but the situation in the UK is, is quite restrictive, really.
1: And there's there's a there's a couple of points actually. I mean, j- just one in terms of people feeling you know scared of sampling. I mean, I, I, I view it as a creative process within dance music, within hip hop music, even within within pop records. I mean, um, the um, um, uh, you know as we said, some of the the first record, undefected was a Gary's Gang sample. We cleared the record. It was owned by uh, Nervous Records. It was on a label called Sam. Um, Sam Weiss owned that label, Michael Weiss um, inherited the catalogue when Sam Weiss passed on. And so we cleared that original Gary's Gang sample on the Soul Searcher record um, with with Nervous. And that was our first release and it set the tone for the label. And it's a very, very important record for the label. And, you know, I I definitely wouldn't have felt comfortable bumping into Michael Weiss at the Winter Music Conference or whatever if I hadn't cleared that sample. So, you know, one, it definitely gives you integrity if you can go about it. And, you know, subsequent records where we've had samples, I mean, the um, the Powerhouse record, I've got what you've been looking for, had a Thelma Houston sample. And uh, Johnny Corporate was a brick sample. And some of our most important records contain samples that we've either cleared the publishing, cleared the recording and the publishing. Um, but we have our, our you know, we're, we're a very visible company, so we don't want to, um, uh, compromise our reputation in the marketplace or spend our time dealing with problems when we can possibly uh, avoid them. So, but equally, we have a 22 year old catalogue now, and we have titles that are sitting there doing relatively nothing. And if somebody samples them, and as Justin said, so breathes life and makes awareness on a, an old title that's sitting there literally generating very little income for us. That is then a new a new revenue stream for us, not only for us but for the artists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I, I think that that cycle is really important within dance music as, as well. So Carol Williams is an obscure disco record that we, you know, we may know Spiller because we love our disco and, you know, and 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 and, and etc. But you made that record visible again by your by, by the sample, and I think that has that has value in. In the real world you know
2: yeah it's a, it's a great song The original is it's amazing you know there are some cases where you can get like an ugly record and make it great by just getting a sample and make it great but in case of, of love is you it's an amazing song and it's an amazing record it sounds amazing as it is do you um
1: justin as, as a as a um an owner of catalogues at bmg do you if you're coming across a producer you sign a new artist or you sign a songwriter to the publishing company do you give them access to your catalogues to start on a predisposed conditions that you can sample these records for creativity
0: um to, to honestly it's, it's probably questions better answered by the licensing team but I, I believe so yeah um yeah i believe so um you know again if it was used creatively in the right way yeah i don't think anybody would. Not listen to the request to clear a sample, particularly the sample to our label. So, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think I think it's really Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean, we have we we do have some questions. If you do, um, uh, which I'll, I'll go through in a second. But if you do have any questions, you can put them into the chat, and we'll try to answer them as best we possibly can. Because I, I understand it is a very complex process. Sample clearance, and it, you know, understanding music rights is 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 a uh, is is a bit of a minefield at the best of times but um uh, i have some questions were sent in before um uh, a question from nick the biz and it's a question to dean or justin um we may have answered this already what are the legalities around sampling and and i think this is the 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 actual question is it okay for personal use Shall i take that one justin
3: yeah um if you are reproducing uh, copyrighted music into a new track, then technically it's the reproduction that is the infringing act. Whether you're doing that at home or it's going to be put out on Spotify, etc., it is still technically infringing. But if you're doing it at home, who's going to know about it? You know, so it's not—it's—it's it's, it's unlikely to be problematic. And also, you wouldn't need. In my opinion, to get clearance, if you were using sampled music in a live environment, if you include it in, in your set, as long as uh, as long as the venue where you're performing uh, had a PRS license, then that wouldn't be necessary either. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, in in, in a personal use scenario, you don't need to clear it effectively.
1: Okay, um, a question from the original Rich Don. Um, do you have to get, we kind of have answered this, but it would be good to clarify it. Do do you have to get a sample cleared, even if it's only a few seconds that are unrecognisable?
3: As I said before, if it's unrecognisable, you wouldn't need to,
1: no. So, but I, I do know people that have, have, have been pulled up for sna- sampling a snare. It Can a snare, Be recognisable. A drum snare.
3: Well, it's about originality. I mean, you're only entitled to copyright protection if the original work was original. That there was originality in it. If it was just a snare, I think it's you know it's debatable. You'd need to get someone like Peter Oxendale on the case, a musicologist, to advise. I think it's it's unlikely.
0: I think, from a sound recording point of view, if you if you if you can identify that even a snare has been sampled from another record, I think that there is probably an infringement there. Um, but but from a publishing point of view, you know you can't say that the use a snare is entitled to any copyright protection. So you, you wouldn't be publishing in, in, in those circumstances. But if there's a sound recording, if you use any part of the sound recording, my advice would be to clear it. You know, if it's identifiable, if there's a chance that somebody can identify it from the original record. Clearing. otherwise you could be creating a problem for yourself down yeah. the line.
1: My yeah. advice would be don't sample a snare.
0: I mean, you just just yeah. get <laughs> you know, one you know, <laughs> from a library. Don't fucking sample then, it. You know, <laughs> well, on the, um, the topic of sample libraries, you know, there's so many free, uh, free uh, royalty-free loops that you can download from the internet that got all the sounds you could possibly ever want to, to use. So for a snare, I mean, it's too risky, some to be able to snare. You, you should be able to yeah. find yeah. them in a the sample pack somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Acapellas, you know, I've said there's another question, the use of acapellas, somebody asked, um, do you still need to clear those? You know, if you're downloading anything from anywhere, always check the terms and conditions. I know when, we were, when I was at Defected, we put out a load of acapella packs um, for people to download. Uh, they, they would still need clearing for commercial use, by defected, and you know, a fee agreed and a, and a royalty agreed as well. So. I think you've just got to be careful where you download these things from and make sure you check the terms and conditions and if you're in doubt, speak, speak to a lawyer or somebody in the know.
1: Yeah, so Chris Alto asked the question, can I use acapellas I've purchased on Beatport or any other dance site? The answer is yes, you can use them, but then you have to clear them.
0: Yeah, unless it's, unless it's from a royalty-free um, uh, sample pack and it's, it's clear that those, those royalties are free to use. Again, you have to look at certain conditions. That if you're in doubt, just, just speak to somebody that has got expertise okay.
1: in that. You have to make sure those sites are legit, though, because I mean, some royalty-free acapellas are not owned by the people that claim that they're royalty-free. Um, uh, somebody, uh, Adam Gresty, whose uh, question has just come in: How aware are the affected Records of the current situation on Bandcamp, where it's a black market for digital downloads and press vinyl? I, we're very aware. Of it, and I'm sure the most of the majors are aware of it as well. It's just a matter of policing and time um, to go chasing all, all of these people that are uploading music that that's, that's not there. So, um, if you get caught, you you are likely to be in trouble. But I'm just you
0: know,
3: um, just, to, just to clarify, I mean, if someone is caught out by the sample owner, they. Find out that you have infringed their rights. I mean, obviously they can take it down. I mean, that's the first thing that they will do is remove it from any platforms. But often these tracks are just uploaded straight again, and it's very difficult for them to keep keep them down. And in practice, it's very rare for these types of cases to get to court. It, it's it's very rare for there to be any litigation, particularly in the UK, in America. As I said, it's it's different because if you are food, the damages that would be payable to the rights owner would be what is their loss and that would be what it would have cost to clear it in the first place so if you did uh get caught out it's unlikely that a record company is going to sue you for you know a, a grand or two that would be the measure of damages the court does have a discretion to uh, allow an account of profit so if there was a, a big hit record the court could decide in lieu of the damages to uh, to award the claimant an account of the profits that were unlawfully made, but that's in the discretion of the court. So litigation is very uncommon in the UK. If you are caught, cool, I mean, in, you know, my le- with my legal hat on, I, I advise not to to, to to use samples. It's unlawful. You'll get into legal problems. But actually, the reality is, it's unlikely, extremely unlikely, you're going to get
2: sued. Sure, an important point, I think.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So for for any DJ producer who has a great sample and is super afraid of uh, of being able to release it, is like you can put it out and know, press a few vinyl only or make it like I don't know on bad end. And if it really becomes big, then you will have the the power to negotiate and clear the sample. And if it doesn't, you, you had your chance, nobody's gonna is gonna sue yeah. you. Yeah. Um
1: uh, a quick question. Uh, uh, DJ Victor M says, does it make, maybe this is for you, Cristiano, does it make a difference sampling in 64-bit as opposed to 32?
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a um, off of you.
1: Uh,
0: so.
2: I think it's, what you got to do is is do some test yourself, you know, is, you get, get the track, like five of your favorite tracks, on 32 and on 64 and do a blindfold test and see if you can if you can tell the difference at that point you will have your 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 answer it's um, you do of course like get like more information if you keep it at 64 and so like when i have to bounce a record and to send it to mastering or to the mastering myself i try to get the highest possible but 32 is already a pretty good, uh, pretty good quality. So myself, I'm happy with 32.
1: Quick, quick question, question, actually, and I don't know the answer, so maybe, um, you know, metadata that is now encoded in all music as it's released digitally. I mean, obviously not on an an animal format, but certainly digitally, if it's sampled, does that metadata get lost in the process or can music be identified the metadata that's encrypted in the original record it's actually a question from somebody
3: uh, i don't know actually i don't know the answer that's kind of more <laughs> a technical question uh that's probably more suitable to uh, a distributor or someone um, with specialist knowledge but I mean, it's quite easy now if you go on to who sampled. yeah you know, it, it's it's any track that contains a sample will be listed there and uh, you know they, they've somehow forensically been able to identify what's in there whether that's done from the metadata or not I don't know but I
1: would I would guess that yes that would be something that would allow it to be traced right nick nick the big on our forum has said it depends on how it's sampled the answer is probably no which i i, I tend to agree with. i do think in the future though some kind of fingerprinting may come into being where even if a record sample it will have some some kind of leave some kind of identification
0: i mean there is there is technology which is you know out there now that you can deploy to you know scour all these different sites that, that music appears on and it can like, uh, potentially potential infringements to you i mean youtube in the, the, the Platform. Um, that, uh, that technology is getting better and you know as people wake up to the amount of infringing music out there it will be used more and you'll find that there are more records taken down um, over time but it, I mean it is there um, it's just it's a little bit in its at the moment
1: um, Cool uh, one of the general questions that came through is Is there are some classic you know um, classic records out or artists that seem to be sampled a lot James Brown, Bob James, Quincy Jones, why do we think they are sampled so much, those artists? I mean, Philadelphia International, South Soul, um, I mean, I, I have I have an answer, but I just wondered what you, what you guys thought about why certain sounds, labels, artists seem to be prominent in terms of
2: i'm tempted to say laziness <laughs> okay. but it, it depends i mean maybe because it's great sounds and myself i try not to get into very obvious uh, samples when, when i can and um, or in well, general
1: i actually think it is that i think it's great sounds i think that they've gone into a, 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 a recording studio with real musicians and arrangers, and it's almost oh,
2: yeah, for sure.
1: to replicate that kind of warmth or, or emotional within music, and it's far easier for people to, um, to sample it than it is to create it. I mean,
0: my, my, um,
1: we get set in a lot of music, and our producers make a lot of music, and sometimes it comes in, and it's just, it's lacking, it's just great beats, great bass lines, but it's, there's nothing unique about it. And quite often I'll say, find a sample. Just to, even if it's just to give you inspiration, then you can then take it off and then put your own music on top of it. But you know, finding that that little bit of texture, whether it be a vocal or a string or, or a keyboard,
2: it makes it more organic. It gives more. Um, yeah, it, it adds a lot. Quite often, for sure. You
1: don't have to be a musician to do it. Can't do you? It's just like you just need to be technically aware of, of, of how what the process is so
2: yeah i mean it's quite unique that uh, the the sampler it's uh, is i was thinking now is the only music instrument where when you do uh, a panel like we're doing now there's a dj and a producer an anr and a music business expert and two lawyers <laughs> 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 <Thank> you. <laughs> <laughs> you an instrument, you will have to do that <laughs>
1: I'm looking at the comments again, actually, and, and uh, Adam Gressley who's is, is quite involved, says it's the lack of quantization in older records that gives modern beats musical swing. And I do actually I do hear that in records. Sometimes when something is so syncopated, it's really rigid. And the old looseness of, of, a, of a real musician just gives a record a bit of a funk. And it's really yeah. hard to explain it's just something that you hear and you
3: that feel.
2: That's most difficult to replicate on the replays as well.
3: It is. Yeah, yeah. on the it replay, is. you lose something. Variably, there's a certain kind of je ne sais quoi or whatever that you just lose. It's difficult to explain, but it just doesn't have the magic often of the original version. Something is lost in
1: the process. Yeah, because people will say that music isn't supposed to be perfect. It's that human element that gives it, you know, um, which again is really hard to quantify in any way, shape, or form. But you know, you can just, you can just after a while, um, you can just, you can just feel it. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 listen to records, and sometimes you get really jaded listening to them, and and it's because they're doing exactly the same thing for three or four minutes, and then sometimes you listen to a record that's very similar, but you retain your attention and it's because someone's programmed their drums they've got filters you know they've got processing going on and it tricks your mind
2: that also goes down to 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 sampling at 32 or 64 bit. there's a lot of great records sound so great because they've actually been down sampled to eight (laughs) bit, and the the way the sample sounds much better i mean yeah i know like uh, daft punk and such were doing that so uh, it's it. it always depends from sample to sample and on the creative process, what you're planning to do.
1: Uh, quick question. This is, this is probably one that we can't answer for fear of, of being taken to court in America. But, um, Robin Thicke, Blurred Lines, versus Marvin Gaye. Got to, got to give it up. Robin Thicke got sued because he was in, it was, he was inspired by Marvin Gaye and, and 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 the Marvin Gaye state won that battle.
3: Well, in fact, he sued. He was the, he was the claimant. He he took on the Marvin to get clarity on it. He was, oh, really? Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah, So, what was the actual? Sorry, you you. Um, <laughs> I was wrong, but you can enlighten me, sir.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, that case w- was quite groundbreaking and has opened uh, a real kind of can of worms in the copyright world because. Oh. Um, elements that were previously considered to be unprotectable in copyright, like the vibe of the track, were held by the court to be protectable. And in the light of that, um, there's been a, a kind of flurry of cases where opportunistic rights owners who feel that there's some kind of similarity between their song or recording and another, or well their, their song rather, and another one, have, uh, have taken action. People like Ed Sheeran have had to give away a share of their publishing. It was a it was a very odd decision, but I don't think it was based upon the law. It was decided by a jury who <laughs> really took a dislike to Robin Dick because of his kind of attitude and his uh, you know, his outburst in court, so it was almost like a kind of punitive judgment against him that's had a kind of significant effect on the industry. But yeah, it's it's it, it was up, upheld on appeal as well, I believe. So yeah, it's a, a very fascinating
1: case. I mean, is- panels on. <laughs> we're all going to be inspired by music we love. Yeah, that's that's. So- so- the the, the 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 you know why music is so personal to people and sometimes it's you can do it in an obvious way and sometimes it's just subliminal in the back of your head. My my you know we're, we're uh, eight minutes to go. Um, but my overall message to people would be to don't not to be afraid of sampling. Um, it's a it's a legitimate creative process. Um, if you are going to sample try and do it where you it's part of your creativity not the totality of your creativity but it's part of it and then you add something to the music that you are then producing so it's 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 just it can be the hook that's absolutely fine it can be something that's buried in the background once you do it speak to someone if you don't know speak to someone about the processes of clearing it make sure that you clear the recording so that the artist gets gets his, his due pay. If you don't want to clear it, you can get it repaid, which means you don't have any obligation to the artist. Um, and clear the publishing, because even if you replay it, there's a composition element to it that you do have to clear. There are people that can help you do that. People like um, a Dean provides that service for, for a lot of people. And because he knows and he goes to all of the, uh, um, the, the rights owners on a regular basis, he would be able to, hopefully, beat that process up for you and, and get you good preferential terms. Um, people like Justin, you know, it, it, if you own a catalogue, you don't want it sitting there being dormant, doing nothing, not having a second lease of life. So Justin's explained that um, BMG do have a, a policy where they will clear samples and they do prefer people to go in advance rather than you uh, taking a fire. Or you can do it like Spiller did, where he did it and, and created a little bit of a buzz, and initially got a, a situation which wasn't a, where he wasn't able to release the record. So he then didn't give up and he kept working the record and made it interesting enough because the major labels are only interested in heat. They're not interested in clearing a record that's going to sell three thousand records. It's just not worth their time. They're interested in something that's going to sell. 300,000 records, and when you get a record that has that kind of buzz, you'll get their attention, and hopefully, you'll be able to come to an agreement. Yeah, um, but definitely, you know, probably a good 80% of my favorite records in my collection have got some kind of sample or inspiration. Or, yeah, definitely don't shy away from it. Dance music would, would be, and hip hop and other genres of music would be a sadder place if it. If you didn't sample music, so I mean, is anything anyone wants to add? Or,
2: um, you want another story? I have another story. (laughs) So, a long long time ago, I did a track sampling a, a record that I didn't know what it was because it was a vinyl bootleg which only had a drawings on it. There were no information. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find I wanted to clear the sample because I wanted to release it. On a, It was for a big label, so it had to be cleared. And it was quite recognizable, so it, there was no question. It had to be cleared. And uh, so I. it was before Shazam! It was before Discogs. I couldn't find where the bootleg came from. But the sound, the, the genre, was quite recognizable, and it it led to to, to a group that was doing that kind of music and so i i bought the entire catalog from this group which was big and i listened to each song they ever did each mix version and everything and i couldn't find that remix i asked a few djs who were specialized in in that kind of music if they knew what it was i sent it to them and they said oh, i remind me of something but i I don't know what it is, and one suggested again that same group that I thought could have could have done it. So what we did is we we got in touch with that um, with that group and we said we have this track and we think you could have one of your you could have sampled something from your catalog. Is it yours? And they replied and they said yes, it's ours and it's from this track. They said the title of the track, and so I immediately went back and listened to the track again and my sample wasn't there. So I went check every different version, edit, and remixes, and my sample wasn't there. So I told my label that that bullshit, that's not where the sample comes from. And they said, wait a second. They say it's theirs. It's theirs. Let's clear it with them. At that point, it becomes their problem. If someone comes asking, <laughs> and, uh, and we did. And, uh, and the track was released. And uh, nobody came and asked for it. So I was quite sure that somehow it was maybe an unreleased version or something from them. And uh, last year, this came back into my mind. And, uh, and I said, uh, let's check who sample who whosampled.com uh, and see if they if they find it and they did find what the sample was it wasn't that sample yeah, yeah, yeah. was different artist <laughs> and uh, who never got credited for it Beside from this great website which is who sampled and yeah, that's the end of the story.
1: I mean, I think that, that it's a good um, a good way to end it. Actually, Who Sampled, it, for people that don't know,
2: is a is
1: a, almost like a Wikipedia of music sampling. Um, and I'm sure people, it, it, it's a consumer upload site, yeah. So people identify the samples and then add the information. But it's a, I mean, if you go on there, it's a minefield of, of information and you know records that you put in your favourite record and you'll, you'll find it's been sampled so many times or or it's a sample from another record and it just leads you down a wormhole of, of discovery in, in the most amazing way. Um, so if you're not aware of who Sampled, who um go check it out. Um, I would like to thank you uh, Dean, Justin, Spiller for your time. Um, I, everyone that's listened and uh, to our, our debate and our exchanges. I hope it's been informative. I hope you've learned something from it. Um, or every, I mean, you're all on social media, so I, I assume you are. So if you have any questions, um, you can get in touch with the people specifically. Um, and, um, yeah, thank you all for for joining us.